You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Thank you for listening. It's Monday the 31st of July. Charlotte Greenway in for Nick as he enjoys his final day of holiday. Today we'll be reflecting on the action from the weekend whilst also looking ahead to the five-day Qatar Goodwood Festival that kicks off tomorrow. We have to start with the King George though and Dave Yates is alongside me today. Dave, it was built up all week as the race of the year and even the race of the century by some. It certainly didn't disappoint, did it? It certainly didn't disappoint, Charlotte. Um, We're used to hyping races like this up year after year in the racing press, and sometimes they don't deliver, but the King George on Saturday certainly did. Um, The field going into it, there was only one horse missing, I think, and that was Desert Crown, of course, who was a late absentee. And that stirring battle between Hookham and Westover inside the final furlong. In fact, it was it was from two out, really, when um, Rob Hornby on Westover made his move and then Jim Crowley switched to the outside to follow him on Hookham. And in the end, they were four and a half lengths clear of King of Steel. One horse... I, I, I always felt maybe that Hookham just slightly had the upper hand, but Westover wouldn't go away. Um there were disappointments in the race. Emily Upjohn was one, but uh, August Rodan was uh, the most notable no-show. He was in trouble soon after Swinley Bottom under Ryan Moore and uh, crossed the line 58. Yes, 58 lengths detached in last place, allowed to compete uh, to complete in his own time. But this was about really the horses who were at the head of affairs, and it was a a, a great battle. It's, it's it was one of those occasions, I think, when um, everybody at the track, including those who were there for the music afterwards, felt that they'd seen a, a great sporting event. You know, I think all of us were walking around with something of a post race glow, thinking that's exactly what we want to see. The King George is enjoying a real boom time at the moment the 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 averages of the the horses the the average ratings of the horses um that are taking part are on the up and this time we had uh 10 runners as well which was a a real boost in terms of field size and in the last few years we had enable and crystal ocean this was another real humdinger and it's a race that enjoys a, a, a real resurgence at the moment. We had a, a, a period when the, the King George was a little bit flat and, and we felt that maybe um, it was struggling struggling a little, but certainly the evidence of the last few years and certainly of Saturday is that this is a race that's in rude health. It certainly is. And Hookham's jockey, Jim Crowley, joins me on the line now. Jim, fabulous horse race, a great duel between your lad Hookham and Westover in the final two furlongs. The way you won must have given you some thrill. Um, yes, obviously it, it was a great thrill um, to be involved in such a race of uh, that caliber. So many, so many good horses in it, and um, you know both both Huckham and Westover. It, it was a it was a fantastic duel up the straight, and I think everybody who comes to watch a great race um, certainly got to see one. 
And you looked throughout the race like you had the perfect position. He sat midfield, one off the rail. Did you think throughout the race that actually everything was going to plan? Yes, I did. I mean, it's not some, you know, a race like that. Everybody wants to get a good position. But I was lucky enough. I had a good draw. I was able to get in behind um, pile driver. Um, I had just, there was a gap that opened, but I thought it wouldn't sort of stay open for very long. So I elected to come round and follow Westover into the straight. Um, So, yeah, pretty much everything went smoothly, really. And he had to be really tough in that sort of final furlong, furlong and a half. He stays that trip really well, doesn't he? Yes, he does. I mean, obviously, look, he'd won a mile and six and even dropping back to a mile and a quarter on his last start um, in the Brigadier Gerard Stakes. Um, you know, so he, he's very versatile trip-wise. Um, he, it's funny, he'd, he'd never been a brilliant workhorse uh, you know, in the past, but he obviously had that injury after the coronation. Um came back into training and his work had been better than ever. So I was, I was really confident going into the King George. And he's a full brother, as everybody knows, to Baid, of course, who was at his best over a mile and also on better ground. Apart from obvious class and talent that they share, are there any other similarities? Um, both very tough horses. Um, they, they, they both have got a very good mind about them. I mean... Um, even before the race, both Baid and, and Huckham would never get wound up. They took it all in their stride. And straight after the race on Saturday, Huckham was walking around like absolutely not a bother on him. You know, he's like, it's like he'd just been up the gallops. Um, they probably jig jog home from the gallops more than he did on Saturday. So that was great. It was, it was uh, both fantastic horses. I feel very lucky to have ridden such two, two champions. You mentioned his sort of mentality there. The the arc's been mentioned as his next target, and I think that he's likely to go straight there in October. Is he the sort of horse that you think will handle the hustle and bustle of a race like that? Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, he's battle-hardened, this horse. You know, he's running, he's running uh, full-field handicaps at Royal Ascot to, you know, small fields. And, you know, he, he's very versatile. He's a good ride. Um yeah, it, it, it'd be a very good ride in the arc and, you know, it's, uh, it's the obvious race for him now. Um, and it'd be very exciting if, if he gets there on pace and in the same form that he was in on Saturday. It'd be, it'd be fantastic. It, it can be a bit of a muddling race as well, but he looks like he's got that change of gear that if they do go steady, it won't be a problem. No, exactly. I mean, we, one thing we did learn at Sandown uh, in the Brigadier Gerard is that if he goes slow, uh, he's got a change of gear. Um, the way the race was run on Saturday, it was a different style of race. They they went quick. They, then they steadied it up at halfway. But then sort of from four down, the pace really quickened. And hence why the whole field was strung out and we didn't finish in a bunch. Um, it was a true test. Um, so it, it does not too many chinks in his armour. Other than that, he probably wouldn't want really fast ground. Which is always unlikely to happen, but you never know. Um, and Jim, Goodwood kicks off tomorrow. You've got some exciting rides uh, coming up by the looks of it. And we'll just cover a couple, if that's OK. Um, Al Husson, the filly that beat Nashua at, New- at Newcastle, she looks they look set to reappose in Wednesday's Nassau Stakes. Uh, French Raider Blue Rose Sen, she's also coming over. First time in a Group 1 for your filly. Do you think she's up to it? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, um, she's certainly deserved to take her chance after after winning the hoppings up at Newcastle. 
Um, she's a filly who has just progressed, you know, leaps and bounds as the season's gone on. She's she's not over big, but she's like a little terrier. She tries hard and uh, she seems to be really coming to herself now. She's in great form. She's well balanced. Um, you know, obviously, look, it's uh, it's, it's going to be a tough race and she'll have to improve again from Newcastle, but it's it wouldn't be a big um, surprise if she did. Just looking at her form on the turf, is she better with a little bit of cut in the ground? Uh, I think she handled it, yeah, absolutely no problem. Um, she, you know, she's, she's run on pretty much all sorts of grounds, but um, I just think, you know, the, the way the filly is progressing at the moment, she's, she's, really, she's really improving, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to riding her. Then Thursday, you've also got Clive Cox's Jassor, who's got an entry in the Richmond Stakes. He looked very good in the July Stakes at Newmarket last time. Yes, he did. Um, he, he's another horse. He probably wouldn't want two testing a ground. Um, he's, he's a nice moving horse, uh, skips along the ground, um, but he's, he's very, very you know, high class. I, I got a, a really good feel off him at Newmarket, and he showed a great turn of foot. Um, Clive Cox's horses are in great form at the moment. It's, uh, it's a race we won last year, a Royal Scotsman. Um, so, yeah, he, he's exciting. And is just anything else that comes to mind that you're really looking forward to? Uh, I've got a few nice rides all week, actually. I've got, I've got a big outsider in the Goodwood Cup, uh, Ocean Wind. I think he's, he shouldn't be underestimated at all. He's, he's a high-class horse and... Uh, I'm pretty sure he'll outrun his odds um, as the week goes on. Lost to Bashir for, for John Gosden. Um, he's a very decent horse. So I've got I've got some nice rides there this week. It's always nice to have a winner there at my uh, at my home track. Well, Jim, thanks so much for your time this morning. Well done at the weekend, and fingers crossed for more success this week. Thank you so much. Dave, sadly, after the race, it hasn't been all positive news. And understandably, Jim Crowley didn't want to comment on it when I spoke to him this morning. But the speculation around that tomorrow at the hearing, he may pick up a ban for his ride? Well, again, this is this is a an issue, I think, that, that shows the, the huge chasm that exists between the people who enjoy the sport and the people who make the rules uh, that govern it. Um, as I said... Everybody felt, I think, a sense of real satisfaction that we'd we'd been to Ascot and we'd seen a, a race that 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 thrilled us, and, and and no one had any misgivings about uh, treatment of the of the horses involved. But um, as often happens in these situations, you get um, you watch the race, then uh, you, you go to visit the winners' enclosure, uh, speak to the connections of the of the winner and the beaten horses, and, and when you get back to your desk in the press room, uh, a, a the, the the briefest look at social media uh, reveals a few people who have counted the hits of the Pro Kush Whip, and in this case, it seems that Jim Crowley. Um, struck Hookham up to nine times and the WIT Review Committee will publish its findings tomorrow but it's likely given the status of the race and the number of strikes that Jim Crowley will be hit with a, a 20 day suspension and I should think a hefty fine as well. Rob Hornby it seems according to the uh, the counters went one over and so, again, given the class of race, he'll be looking at a suspension as well. Um, in Crowley's case, this will rule him out of 
partnering Mostadaf, of course, the impressive winner of the Prince of Wales stakes at Royal Ascot last month uh, when that John Gosden train horse reappears in the Judmont International at York next month. So it's going to be a victory will come at a hefty cost for Jim Crowley. But again, it's it just to me, you know, and people I, I've bored Nick Luck Daily listeners many times about my views on the whip and particularly um, the, the numbers and the, the revisions that have taken place over the last uh, few months to the rules and the, the, the downsizing of the, the, uh, the, the limits. But this seems to me, as I say, it illustrates, you couldn't have a better illustration of, of uh, the view of the people who enjoy racing and the people who have the interests of the horse very much at the centre of their hearts and the, the racing's regulators. It seems a, a really unsatisfactory situation to me and I don't know how this is going to be changed. I, I blame the jockeys in part for this because I felt that they were um, they were absent when the uh, discussions for the, the, the new whip rules which were implemented earlier this year uh, were being framed and then there was also of course the business with uh, trading the, the the use of the whip in the forehand position which which had a, the effect of ramping up the penalties but um, this is a, a, a really unsatisfactory situation short of just going back and uh, redrawing the whole lot I don't know what we can do but what I can say with certainty is that on Tuesday the opponents of horse racing it, it be I'd be extremely surprised if animal rising don't uh, make some sort of capital out of this that um, a horse was uh, was was beaten beyond the rules in order to um, win a big prize a big financial prize for his connections and one thing I haven't mentioned in this in this um, rather uh, long and circuitous monologue is the fact that nine strikes took Jim Crowley just one short of the ten that would have seen Hookham disqualified now if he had if he was counting, if he had miscounted and hit Hookham ten times and the horse had been slung up, slung out, is there anybody who watches horse racing who thinks that that would have been a fair outcome? Uh, certainly, I don't think so. No, and this is the most high-profile ride, of course, that this has happened in. And, I mean, watching it from my point of view, it didn't look excessive. He gave the horse time to respond each time he hit him. So, uh It'll be interesting to see how this unfolds over the next couple of weeks because, um, or and further, because something's got to change. I think the thing that that really irritates me about this, and it, and it's something that has um, that has been the case really ever since the initial uh, whip rules following uh, Ballard Briggs' victory in the Grand National of 2011, was it? Um, and and that is that. This is reduced to a counting exercise. You watch a race in the sense that, you, in, in the same way that you watch any enthralling sporting event, a sporting event that stirs your blood. You know, like just recently we had a fantastic uh, men's singles final uh, between Alcaraz and Djokovic at Wimbledon. You watch those sporting events, and they're, they're what sports fans, they're the reason that we we watch those events because there there are two contestants absolutely going for it and with a, a, a supreme level of skill and that's what we want to watch and in the case of this race there was a race that even hardened professionals who perhaps jaundiced professionals who go to the races and think oh well you know it's just another day at the office um but 
a, a race like that really takes yourself out of yourself. And you're like, what a, what a fantastic spectacle that was. And then there's the moment a few minutes later when the counters come out and say, oh, hold on, there have been nine strikes from Jim Crowley. And that, that you know, we have a, uh, an instinctive and a, and a visceral um, a reaction to, to, to the way that these sports are played out. And my objection to it is that that all goes out the window when, as I say, 10 minutes later, someone has been through the video and counted the hits. That emotion is something that if it doesn't, if, if it doesn't surface at the very beginning when you're watching a, uh, a race and that you think, hmm, I'm not really quite sure where I stand on what I've just seen. The fact that it has to come out a few minutes later with someone counting it on a replay, that to me is a, is a really unsatisfactory situation. Um, the, the, the opponents of the whip often look to Scandinavia and tell us, oh, you know, there, there's no whip in Sweden. Well, which, which, are, the, which are the global racing nations which the, the, the most of us aspire to being at the moment? top of the tree is Japan. Their whip rules that they trust their stewards. Just they, they don't give them an abacus and tell them to count the number of strikes. They look at the use of the whip in the round and they punish offences. Um, the, the, the same, I think, is true of Hong Kong. Two major racing nations which are thriving and all, all the opponents uh, to the Procus whip can come up with is to look at Sweden. One person who's certainly got a view on this other than me, Charlotte, is Angus Gold. And I'm, I'm going to read out what he told James Byrne of the Racing Post. It must have tested uh, James's shorthand skills, this. And before I read out these quotes, I'm just going to point out that most um, racing managers are fairly politically neutral animals. They, they see uh, controversial issues a mile off. And when they see them, they normally run for the hills and... Angus Gold, I'm sure, has got the backing of Shaker Hissa and the top brass at, at Shadwell before saying what he said. But I, I'm going to read out his quotes here. I think you will find everybody in the racing community felt that was an outstanding race. There were two top-class horses with two excellent jockeys giving their all, which is what racing is all about. I counted Jim hit the horse eight times. Somebody told me it was nine, but if anybody thinks either of those jockeys beat their horses up, they were watching a different race to me. Both jockeys were fantastic. The fact the racing authorities have seen fit to bring in a rule that says a jockey gets banned for a ride like that is, in my opinion only, an utter disgrace. They are hanging racing out to dry. I find it hard to believe the people who run our sport can feel there was anything wrong with that race. They are playing to that dreadful word of perception. It was exactly what we need to attract people to our industry. It's easy for me to say because I was involved with the winner, but there was a real buzz at Ascot, and I think everybody knew they'd seen a fantastic race. The people sat behind a desk who came up with a number of times a horse can be hit should be hanging their heads in shame. I respect my colleagues and friends who don't agree with my view, and I stress it is only my view, but I think it's time somebody stood up for racing. We should be proud of ourselves. We are a fantastic sport. Now, there are, there are a couple more paragraphs of quotes, but I think I've gone on long enough there and i think that listeners will get the gist of what angus gold believes and I, I must say i couldn't have put it better myself 
Well, it was a great weekend for Safi Osborne. In fact, it was a great week and Safi joins me on the line now. Safi, three winners in the opening racing league meeting on Thursday evening. And then you broke your domestic group race duck aboard Random Harvest at Asker on Saturday. We'll come to that shortly, but starting with the racing league, it's a competition that I can see you and your dad are both really keen to win again this year. So it must be something you've both enjoyed being involved in. Yeah, it's um, great fun. There's a great atmosphere at the meetings, and um, no, there's the obviously the prize money is incredible, and it's good to get good fields of horses, and it's really competitive racing and a joy to be a part of. And Frankie Dottori is a captain this year. Was the atmosphere different on Thursday night? Do you think than last year at all? Um, yeah, he obviously he he did take quite a leading role in it last year. He was in our team, and uh, he's jumped ship, and he's got his own team this year, but. <laughs> Uh, when you saw him coming off of his winner, he had about 10 times the crowd that anyone else did around the parade ring. So, no, he brings a extra factor to it. And, um, no, it's great to have him doing it. And Thursday at Yarmouth, you personally had three winners and your team, Wales and the West, are leading the way in the team competition after leg one. So you're off to a dream start. Yeah, I think there's a really long way to go. There's obviously six meetings um, during the series and... Um, no, it's just get go great to get it started on the right foot. What's the sort of feeling in the dressing room? Do you have some sort of friendly rivalry between the teams? Yeah, they all sort of take the mickey out of me that my dad's getting me the best ride. <laughs> but I do point out that um, I do point out that the trainers get to pick which jockeys they get. Um, no, it's yeah, they all they all like to have a bit of a dig, but um, in a friendly way. <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, well, you had your three winners came for three different trainers on Thursday. And is it right? I think I was listening to Sky Sports Racing over the weekend with Alex Hammond was on and said that actually the racing league led to you getting your first rides for Ed Walker. Um, I, yeah, it was probably towards the start of when I started riding for him, not necessarily um, the first rides I had for him. I started riding for him a little bit before that, but it sort of allowed me to get on a better quality of horse sort of forward and um no it kind of I managed to get on a couple of horses that won in racing league and then went on to sort of bigger and better things and I got to stay on them so um things like that was no it's really helped and it was Ed Walker's Random Harvest who you landed the Group 3 Longines Valiant Stakes aboard on Saturday at Ascot she's been a very special horse for you hasn't she yeah she's been massive for my career I rode her for the first time at Royal Ascot last year and um the amount she's improved from there is just incredible and that's all down to Ed and his whole team. Um, I think at this point of your career, I think um, it's my first year out of my claim and having horses like this to ride and sort of to allow you to showcase yourself on a bigger stage is is so vital and crucial. So, um, no, I'm just really grateful to be on board her. And you won a Group 3 on her in Italy last year, but this is your first domestic Group 3. Did it feel different when you crossed the line or as you're walking back in? Did it feel bigger? Massively, because I think I've had, there's been so many sort of, she's finished second at Royal Ascot twice now. And um, it's obviously always your dream to have Royal Ascot winners. And I've just hit the crossbar on multiple occasions on her. So sort of to finally get her head in front in a big race like that at, in her, at home is, is was so special. And especially for Ed and for Lady Bamford to have a homebred winner on a big day like that was really special as well. And just finally, Safi, is there a chance that you'll add to your good run at Goodwood this week? I really hope so. Um, I've got a few with live chances. I really like executive decision on the first day for Dad. Um, 
she's a filly that finished she finished fifth at Royal Ascot on and then fifth again at Newmarket another heritage handicap on ground that was far too quick for her and um with all this rain around um no I think she'll finally get her ground and I think she'll she'll go first and hopefully some more exciting ones for the rest of the week well fingers crossed Safi I hope you do and we'll be following you this week perfect thank you well, Richard Hannon's two-year-old Colt Rosalian wasn't the most high-profile winner, but he certainly was one of the most impressive winners of the weekend as he took the listed Pat Hedry stakes at Ascot on Saturday. His trainer, Richard Hannon, joins me now. Um, Richard, a pretty spectacular performance from your Colt. Sean Levy looked very confident on him throughout the race. Is he a horse you've always held in high regard? Yeah, he is. You know, he's, he's been... Well, I had the signs of a very good two-year-old basically from day one and as I said on Saturday it's not just about this year he's a horse for next year too he's a big scopey colt with a great attitude and obviously tons of ability and he finished four lengths clear at the line I think Sean only picked his stick up once did the ease of his victory surprise you in any in any way um he didn't no really to be honest I, you know it, he travelled lovely. He always looked like he was going to win. And, yeah, I was very pleased to see it, but I wasn't, yeah, I suppose I wasn't necessarily expecting to see it, but I thought he could have something like that in him. He's from a lovely family. He's got the Queen Anne winner triple time under his second dam. Could he go all the way to the top, do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he's a guinea horse already in my mind. Um and we've still got a good part of this year to go and he'd be targeted probably at the National Stakes and the Dewhurst or the Lagarde Air, you know, one or maybe two of the three. And, and ground-wise, would he be fairly versatile? You mentioned going to France, a bit of cut yeah, in the ground. Yeah, he will yeah, be versatile ground-wise. Uh, he's also by Dali's leading first season sire, Blue Point. Have you got many others in the yard? Have you been impressed with them? Yeah, I have. Um, I've got a very good filly called Serene Seraph, who I think could be my best filly. She's only run once, but she ran in an extremely hot race at Doncaster on Derby Day. <coughs> but I think she could be a very good filly. She's called Serene Seraph. Where are we likely to see her? Has she got a target? Yeah, she has. She's she's paying aimed at the Moigra, but obviously she's got to win somewhere very nicely beforehand. Uh, but she'll go somewhere fancy she just had a little niggle there but she's coming back from it and she's doing two canters from this from today onwards so she's well on her way to coming back the five-day qatar goodwood festival kicks off tomorrow it's a festival you've done very well at in the past which runners are you most looking forward to this week well unfortunately i don't think we'll get to run chindit because of the ground i've got bahia in the malcolm i think is a very good horse i've got um, Hartem, who runs in the, the Go to the Vintage Stakes, I think he's favourite for that. And he goes on soft grounds, so he's one I'll be looking forward to running. And I got a nice two-long called Stratocracy that belongs to Alcetab. And just you mentioned Bahir there, he's dropping down to five furlongs in the Molcom. He was very impressive over six at Newbury. Do you think he's got the speed to run over five, especially at somewhere like Goodwood? Yeah, simple answer. <laughs> Straight to the point. Well, Richard, best of luck this week. Uh, hopefully a few winners. Yeah, let's hope so. 
Thank you very much. Dave, Richard Hannon there and his winner at Ascot on Saturday, Rosalian. He was mightily impressive, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. Um, a, a horse who had made a winning debut at Newbury at the start of June and was an 11 to 1 shot uh, going up to listed level for the Pat Edry Stakes. And he was really impressive. He travelled supremely well under Sean Levy and then lengthened clear to score by four lengths. That was a, a race that was run over seven furlongs. You could see this horse staying a mile standing on his head in 2024. And he looked really impressive. I mean, as. As is usual, Charlotte, at this time of the year, you look through the anti-post list for the classics and you think, ah, Aidan O'Brien, Aidan O'Brien, Aidan O'Brien, Aidan O'Brien. And it's lovely to have a trainer like Richard Hannon in there with a horse who, you know, fully deserves his place in a uh, a Group 1 place next uh, race next time. I think they're looking at the National Stakes. That might well bring uh, Rosalian into conflict with City of Troy. But um, So that will test his mettle, because I think City of Troy is as good a two-year-old as most of us have seen uh, for quite some while. But at listed level, he could not have been more impressive on Saturday, and I really look forward to watching this horse's career, especially when he goes up in grade. Yeah, definitely. And Richard just finished off there by talking about his chances at Goodwood this week. And Dave, probably the biggest news with regards to running plans anyway at Goodwood that broke in the Racing Post this weekend was that Nostrum won't run in the Sussex Stakes and in fact will run in the Thoroughbred Stakes later on in the week. It's disappointing, but I can see why. Yeah, I can see why. This is annoying, this, Charlotte, because I can see why too. And I'd love to say, oh, this is terrible. You know, whatever happened to rolling the dice in the top races? And and my my heart says that, of course. We wanted to see, you know, the, the way that Nostrum won the Sir Henry Cecil Stakes at the July meeting at Newmarket. Again, it, it stirred the blood. I, I watched that race live and it seemed to me that when Ryan Moore shook Nostrum up, that the, the horse almost crouched lower and quickened. And then he gave him a crack with the Prokush whip. And again, uh, the horse responded and shot clear um, of his rivals. But I understand that was a listed race. And we've just talked about Rosalian. Well, it's one thing being able to outclass horses in uh, listed grade is quite another when you move up. Missing group through, uh, missing group three, missing group two, and going straight up to group one level. Um, and so I understand why they're doing that with Nostrum. Uh, it was his first start at Newmarket for nine months since his third behind Chaldean in the Dewhurst Stakes at Newmarket. And I can see why they want to give this horse a bit more education. Um, I think Barry Mann uh, used the example of Baid running in the thoroughbred stakes a couple of years ago on his way up rather than uh, taking on uh, Group 1 opposition in the Sussex stakes, which I suppose at the time many of us were clamouring to see. But I, I understand why they've done this. I, I'd love to have seen Nostrum in opposition against Paddington. It will make Aidan O'Brien's Colt an even shorter um, favourite for Wednesday's feature. But Nostrum's had four runs. I, I mean, the, the only thing the only thing that would uh, make me cry foul would be if at the end of Nostrum's season, they decided that, well, we're going to retire him uh, to stallion duties as a three-year-old i think that reading between the lines with this that nostrum the, the intention is for him to race on at four and uh, as long as we see that then although i think it's a shame for the race i can understand the reasons behind this move 
Yeah, and taking on the battle-hardened Paddington would be no easy task. And actually, we've just passed the 10 o'clock deadline for declarations, and there's six in there in the Sussex Stakes. Uh, Aldari, Chindit, but as Richard mentioned, may not line up because of the ground. Uh, Factor Cheval for France, Inspiral for the Gosdens and Frankie de Tory, Charin, and also Paddington. Um, that's sure to be a great race. And Jim Crowley mentioned his ride aboard Al Husson earlier in the Nassau Stakes on Thursday day that looks an absolute belter yeah it really does um i i think that you know we've got i'll put a, a plug in for if i may for our 12 page uh, pullouts every day in the daily mirror uh, for glorious goodwood this week and one looks ahead to the to the the feature races and what we're going to have obviously you know towards the end of last week and over the weekend and there's no doubt that the Nassau Stakes is one of the highlights. We've got Nashua, who is the defending champion and, of course, back to winning form at Group 1 level in the Fowler Stakes last time. And Blue Rose Sen, a really impressive winner of the Prix de Diane last time for Christopher Head. But, as you say, this isn't a two-horse race. Just looking at the anti-post list here, Al Husen, who is a horse who's really improving and beat Nashua last time. Uh, I don't suppose we'll see warm heart here, but another horse who I think will certainly deserve her place in the lineup is uh, Running Lion. She was behind Blue Rose Sen in the Prix de Diane last time, and up until that point was a horse who had a certainly an, an upwardly mo- mobile profile, uh, excepting, of course, that there was the, the incident in the, the stalls at uh, Epsom before the Oaks, or at, at the start of the Oaks. Yeah, and I spoke to David Redvers last week. He actually interestingly said... Um, that obviously she had that incident at Epsom and couldn't run. And then going to France, it was the race was just before the storm and it was really hot and humid. She had a hood on and a Monty Roberts rug. And he reckoned she overheated because she came back. She was panting like a dog, in his words. And so, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if she can get back on track. It will. I mean, you know, the other thing as well that's worth pointing out is that... Um, I'm in I'm in Sussex now, and it's pretty wet here. I think that the uh, the ground was uh, was given as good to soft over the weekend, and we've we've got a a wet through days a wet few days here. Now it was certainly rain softened ground when uh, Running Lion won the Pretty Polly Stakes at Newmarket, which which you know really put her into the reckoning uh, for the classics and. If she does have any excuses uh, this week, then I don't think that the racing surface will be among them because I think there's going to be plenty of give on the South Downs uh, by Thursday. And it'll be interesting to see what Running Lion can come up with. You know, I, I began talking about the, the Nassau as if it was uh, a, a two-horse race, two race between Blue Rose Sen and Nashua. But if you look a little bit deeper down the entries, there are some really interesting fillies and mares here and, and it'll make for a really interesting race and dave tomorrow's feature race the goodwood cup if we trust the betting could well be another notch on frankie de Tori's farewell tour what do you think yeah it, it looks that way certainly uh courage mon ami well a few days ago john gosden frankie de Tori, and the uh Qatari Wathnan Racing, Wathnan Racing, uh, they had uh, Courage Monami and Gregory in this race, uh, both 
Royal Ascot winners, both unbeaten. They've decided to go with Courage Monami here, uh, who beat Coltrane by three parts for length in the Gold Cup. And it, again, this is a, a real thriller. Um, it's, and again, it's not a two-horse race. Eldar Eldorov was a bit disappointing in the Gold Cup. I thought he was my selection and, and I thought he was in trouble really on the run uh, to the home turn. Uh, Javalotto is a horse who we haven't seen since he won the Yorkshire Cup. He beat Eldar Eldorov that day albeit in uh, in um, receipt of some weight. I thought one horse just looking further down the list and I, I, I think that Courage Monami will probably win this race. I think that he'll confirm superiority over the horses that he beat at uh, Royal Ascot. But one horse I thought was interesting, Charlotte, at bigger prices, is Lone Eagle here. Um, this horse was previously unraced beyond an extended mile and five. He was second uh, to William Haggis's Hamish in the Ormond Stakes at Chester on his previous start. He then steps up to two and a half miles and travelled really well until I thought the final two furlongs when he ran out of puff and finished ninth in the Gold Cup. But he sort of splits the difference here at two miles. And we know that he's a horse who was, well, top class in his days uh, with Freddie and Martin Mead. Now, of course, with Rafe Beckett, Mark Chan and Rafe Beckett have also got Kinross in the Lennox Stakes, uh, the preceding race tomorrow at four o'clock. But I thought that, as I say, I'm, I'm, I'm hedging my bet slightly here, but I, I, I think that uh, Courage Monami will probably win this race, but certainly at bigger prices, Lone Eagle splitting the difference at two miles, I think is an interesting one at bigger prices. Yeah, and I don't think Coltrane's out of it either. He was second in the Gold Cup to Courage Monami, and yes, Courage Monami is entitled to come on for that again because he's so lightly raced, but actually I think the two miles round Goodwood will suit Coltrane better um, and so I think he's certainly an interesting contender. He's so tough and he always runs his race. So, uh, yeah, I hope he runs well. Yeah, I think with, with um, Coltrane, that is a belief that is shared by Bashine Murphy and I think also by uh, Mick Mariscotti, who um, owns Coltrane with his wife, Janice. I, I think that there was... Um, Sheen did an interview with, with Nick Luck yesterday, didn't he, saying, well, I think we can call him Nick for the purposes of this programme, <laughs> um, that uh, he he felt that he'd, he'd given, he'd had presented Frankie de Tori and, and Courage Monami with a, a target to aim at and that he wasn't planning to do this this time. But certainly, I think those close to Coltrane, and I, I think they agree with you, that um, coming back to two miles will help their horse I, I don't think it'll be a hindrance to Courage Monami but certainly if you're uh, backing the, the runner-ups to turn things around then I think the trip might well be at the centre of your thoughts for the reasons for doing so Well Dave thanks so much for all of your input today but just before you go have you got a tip to send us away with? I do have well a horse that I hope will win today certainly is short enough in the betting Charlotte I, I, I owe listeners a winner uh, after my performance of the last couple of weeks uh, 5.52 race at Lingfield and it's a Bayar Contigo which I'm, I'm pretty sure means to dance with you in Spanish uh, this horse is on a hat trick and was a, a really impressive winner at Bath last week. Has a six-pound penalty here. Stuart Williams, when his horses get on a roll, they often stay on a roll. Marco Gianni doing the steering here again. And the hat-trick beckons, I think, for Bayar Contigo. So 5.52 race at Lingfield. Selection is number seven, Bayar Contigo.
Thanks to Dave and thanks to all my guests today. Nick will be back with you tomorrow and he'll be recording from Goodwood all week. I hope you enjoyed the racing. Thank you once again for listening. That was episode 797. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.